Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We're talking about disciplines of the Spirit. We are, uh, we are taking on practices that transform us to be more like Christ. So as Christians, we are invited to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. That's what it means to be Christian. And so our aim over the last several weeks have been to look at disciplines that help transform our ordinary lives. We want to become strong in the spiritual life so that we naturally do the things that Jesus would do if he were us. Does that make sense? And so we've talked about prayer as a discipline. I talked about fasting as a discipline. And last week I talked about just read your Bible, right? How many of you here were last week? Anyone try to read their Bible this week? Let's see it. Yeah, okay. Anyone have a positive experience this week with reading? Okay, a few of us. Did anyone feel like just more conflict, more disappointment, or more whatever with their spouse, especially during this week? And is that, was that just me? Um, I wanted to attribute it to spiritual warfare, but I guess it was just me. <laughs> uh, but it, it is true that when you, when you make steps of progression in the kingdom of God, that you will be contested by the kingdom of darkness. Do you know that we live in a spiritually uh, uh, contested world? Do you know that? Now you do. So today I'm going to talk about worship as counterformational, worship as a spiritual discipline. So I want to make the first point this morning that worship is not a religious thing. It's a human thing. Worship is not a religious thing. It's a human thing. Everybody worships all the time. We are always worshiping when we don't realize that we're always worshiping as humans. Worship is to simply ascribe worth. Uh, worship is an expression of adoration or devotion to a deity. Um, I like to say that worship is, a re- is the recalibration of your soul. Okay, worship is the recalibration of your soul. How many of you have Google Maps on your phone or maps by Apple on your iPhone, right? And what does it do when it doesn't know where you are? What does it say that you should do? Recalibrate. You know what you have to do? You grab your phone. I don't know if you've done this before. And do you know what you have to do? You have to do like the figure eight thing because it has to know where you are because otherwise it would give you the wrong directions to where you're headed. Worship is the intentional ascribing of worth to to the things or person or being that you value most in life. It calibrates your existence, your whole being, to the things that you value in your life. That's what worship is. That's what worship does. Worship, then, um, is really important. We'll talk about that. Let me give you a couple of quotes this morning. I've used this man a lot in my past, uh, in past sermons. His name is uh, David Foster Wallace, and he was a professor, and he gave this amazing speech at Kenyon College, and he says this, and, and he wasn't a Christian. I want you to hear about what he says about worship. He says, because here's something else that's weird but true. He's in the middle of a speech. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of of, of thing of worship, or to worship, excuse me, be it JC, Jesus Christ, or Allah, or Yahweh, or the Wiccan mother goddess, or four noble truths, or some 
and viable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. If it's truth, um, and it's the truth, excuse me, worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. Here's a guy who's giving a speech to a graduating class at Kenyon College who's not a Christian, and he's a brilliant um, f- cultural philosopher, and he just nails it. Everybody's worshiping all the time, and the reason we need to worship something bigger than ourselves is because everything else will eat us alive. And I want to say that the only thing that deserves worship is God, who has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are always worshiping. We are always and regularly giving ourselves over to the things that bring us significance, purpose, and meaning. I'm just going to start with this this kind of big narrative, and then we're going to get to practical stuff, and then I'm going to go to the Scripture. Is that okay? I didn't tell you what I was doing, but that's what I'm doing. We're talking about worship. We're always giving ourselves over to the things that are meaningful and have significance or give us meaning, purpose, or significance. One way to look at worship, I was thinking about this in my own life, is how I organize my life. How do you organize your entire life? You could say that you organize your life around what you worship, or you organize your life around what's most valuable to you. Would you agree? Things that you value, you make time for, you give money to, you investigate, you research, you create space for. So you could say we organize our lives around what we love. Would you agree? I'm just testing it out. I haven't, I haven't practiced this sermon this morning. I was overwhelmed this morning with the chaos that's happening in Orlando, and I prayed with our team and worship. But I, I had this, this general thought that, that we organize our lives around what we love. And so what I know is that Scripture teaches we are built for perfect love, and that's only through our relationship with God. And when that, that flow of life is distorted, where we were designed to be filled with this perfect love of God, we, we misdirect our love, or we start directing our love towards other things. And when we're not receiving this, this mutual relationship with this perfect, loving God creator, then every, if we start pushing our love or our worship, I'll use that word now, in other things like success, business, relationships, how many Instagram followers you have, or, or um, uh, uh, your family, your, your kids, uh, your job, the things, if you start finding your meaning and purpose from those things, if you start devoting simply to those things, then you're, you'll be distorted in your very existence because worship recalibrates your soul. It distorts your soul. So when, when you worship, when you send your love in the wrong places, you become distorted as a person, or as David Foster Wallace says, you get eaten alive by those things. Every day I organize my life around what's most important to me. Every day I'm being influenced by habits. Every day I'm being influenced by culture. So the importance of our worship is significant, and where our worship is directed is significant. Um, our lives are being shaped by our culture, and by our, not even by choice, but by forces that are vying for our attention. We've been talking about this the last three weeks, that culture is the default setting. We are products of our culture. And I was just examining how if I don't regularly set time out with God, if I don't regularly recalibrate my existence in the mornings through prayer, worship, and devotion, if I'm not giving myself to the Lord, 
I, I, I kind of get caught up in the stream of culture. Do you know what I'm talking about? So these are some of the ways I identified it this week. I move f- naturally when I'm not connecting and recalibrating my life to God. I move naturally from faith to doubt. I move from love to insecurity. I move from community to isolation or individualism. I move from generosity to greed. And I move from rest to exhaustion. Anyone else struggle with those things? Okay, so worship then helps us challenge the default settings, the natural flow of culture. And I'll tell you how that does that in just a moment. But my case really is just that you become worshipers. If you're new, if you haven't been in the series, we're just talking about practices to adopt. Like we should be worshiping God regularly. And yes, we could talk about worship as your life. We could talk about worship God in all things. But I want to talk specifically on disciplining yourselves for regular daily worship. Um, N.T. Wright has this amazing quote, another long quote for you. It says this, and it's similar to Henry uh, or David Foster Wallace. He says this, there are two golden rules at the heart of spirituality. You become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. Wow. Those who worship money become eventually human calculating machines. Those who worship sex become obsessed with their own attractiveness or prowess. Those who worship power become more and more ruthless. So what happens when you worship the creator God whose plan to rescue the world and put it to rights has been accomplished by the lamb who is slain? The answer comes in the second golden rule. The, uh, because you were made in God's image, Worship makes you more truly human. When you gaze in love and gratitude at the the God in whose image you were made, you do indeed grow. You discover more of what it means to be fully alive. So he says, look, you become like what you worship as humans. So whatever it is you worship, why not become the best possible thing you, you can become? The only thing that is worthy of your worship then is God. The God revealed in the scriptures, who's revealed himself as Jesus. As you gaze in admiration, as you offer yourself back to him, you become more fully yourself in him. Is that, does that make sense? So, so all to say, let me just summarize. If to worship is to be human, if everybody worships, if we're always worshiping, if we worship what we love, if we organize our lives around what we worship, if we become what we worship, then would you agree that our worship matters? Point number one. Okay, thank you very much. That was the introduction. So how then do we become passionate worshipers of God? How do we become passionate worshipers of God? Because if you grew up in the church, it's not easy to not worship what people think of you. I get so much out of it when people say, good job, Darren. Great sermon today. I lo- great. I, I, I was talking to somebody. I feel better about myself when I get 100 and something likes than just 50. Why? Because that gives me value, meaning, and significance. At some level, deep inside, I have a broken part of my soul. My false self receives identity and validation from the approval of everyone else. So if that's working against me, how then do I become a passionate worshiper of God in my everyday ordinary life? That's the task I have this morning to to train us as a church to be worshipers of the Most High God. Are you singing in your life regularly? 
Have you ever met someone that sings that wasn't full of joy? Seriously, think about it. The people in your life that sing out loud. I was at the gym the other day and there was a woman on the bike listening to something and she was like getting down on the bike. And I was like, I want to listen to what she's listening to right now because I was trying to row and I was like, this is not happening. And she's just going for it, like snapping, doing everything. I was like, come on. She's a joyful person. She's singing out loud. Okay, Here's some disciplines. I'm just going to give you the practical up front, and then we're going to go to the scripture, okay? Normally, I have to speed through the practical, but I just wanted to talk through some practical steps. So here are some steps that I've identified. This is Darren speaking, that I think will help you become a worshiper. And then we're going to look at the Bible, and we're going to see why it's important. But number one is practice gratitude. You want to be a worshiper? You want to be a worshiper. Learn to say thank you all the time. Count your blessings, my mom would always say. That is the spirit, the wisest thing you can say to someone if they're wanting to grow as in spirituality. Say thank you. Be thankful. Practice gratitude. If it's hard for you to say thanks, if it's hard for you to recognize the blessings in your life, grab a journal every morning. Write down five things that you're thankful for from the last day. Every night I go to bed, before, or I put my son to bed. My wife and I go into the room. She reads most of the books. We'll say a Jesus story sometimes. We'll pray, and then we say, Ezra, what are you thankful for? And he'll go, um, um, wawa, um, um, house, uh, mommy, daddy. And we're training him to recognize the most powerful thing you can recognize in your life as a Christian, that all of life is a gift. That you don't earn it, you don't deserve it. And if you learn to practice gratitude over time, you'll, you will become a more generous person, spiritually vibrant and deep by just practicing gratitude. Number one, practice gratitude. Number two, read the Psalms. The Psalms are uh, the most, probably the most profound book in the Bible. They're worship songs. They're honest. They're authentic. The majority of the Psalms are lament, anger. What I love about the Psalms, brutal honesty. Most of us come and we think that Christianity has to be about fluff and excitement and singing happy songs all day long. But what about the rest of the time in our life? What about days like today? When we have to grieve, how do we learn how to grieve? We can sing songs of lament. David talks about bashing the kids' heads of their enemies in the Psalms. He talks about destroy my enemies. Like, it's super real and honest. Read the Psalms. You want to learn how to be a worshiper? Just read the Psalms. They will make you a worshiper. Recognize that they are someone confessing, honest, brutally honest, talking about sin and anger and judgment and frustration and joy and happiness. Third, this is probably the hardest one for most of us. Practice giving financially regularly. Practice giving money regularly. Practice tithing. Why is that connected to worship? Nothing, you are, you are connected um, to money and stuff more than anything else in your life outside of sexual relationships. That's what I believe. That there's a strange mystical bond with you and your stuff and money. You want to learn how to become more like God? Give regularly. Because God is a generous God. He gave his one and only son. So, generosity trains you in worship. Again, why am I talking about disciplines? Well, we're trying to have a heart of worship. How do you get at a heart level of transformation? It's not just thinking the right things. It's practicing the right things. This is the hardest thing to practice regularly. My wife and I are regularly in conflict over this issue. She's the most generous person I know. And she, we regularly, regularly deal with this issue. What, what's enough? Because if we say it's just 10% and we just keep living our life, that's no longer generous a year later. 
right? So we're regularly disciplining ourselves. Lord, how much do you want us to give this year? Lord, can we take on another compassion child this year? Lord, we're constantly pushing the bar because I want to get to the place where we just give more and more money away because that's where you receive more. Do you guys know that's, that's true? So practice generosity. So practice giving. If you don't give, give once and see what it feels like. If you give regularly, give more regularly. Give a, a bigger percentage. Just practice it. That's one thing that you can learn. Number four. What's number four? Um, practice singing worship songs during the week. This is where I want us to be just, this is what I hope in the garden day, in, the, in days to come. It's filled before we start our first song. Okay, we got here, the worship leader face up here, or whoever's leading worship, they're up here, and they just go, you guys been practicing all week? Okay, drum kicks, ready, set, go, and everyone just goes for it. But we have to practice. We have to be prepared throughout the week. So sing songs because you're, you are already singing songs of culture throughout the week. Why not sing songs that are directed to the Most High, directed towards the God that you want to become more like? Why not sing songs that will make you bigger, that will expand your life rather than, than diminish your life? You know what I'm talking about? Disciplines, practicing songs. So I literally, if you want to sing, grab, grab an album and sing it on your commute when you wake up. We talked about this last week. These are all practical steps. Thanks for paying attention. Number five is practice corporate worship on Sunday and in small groups. I, I believe corporate worship. You guys, by the way, we, we have about 40 minutes of worship together where we come together to sing together. There is something mystical and profound and sacred that happens when the people of God come together to gather, not just to hang out, and have a good time, and watch a game, but to gather in the name of the risen Jesus Christ to bring glory and honor to his name. If you think that this Sunday is about someone telling you what to do, like giving you practical steps to worship, it's not. It's about us coming together to worship God. So we practice Monday through Saturday for Sunday to bring our very best. We don't come empty-handed. And Sunday is so that we become fueled for Monday through Saturday. Do you see how it works? That you don't just podcast the talk as if you missed a Sunday. You'll miss the experience of the Lord's people. You'll miss that someone raised their hand because they needed to be told that the Heavenly Father loves them. You'll miss the story when we pray for our brothers and sisters in need. You miss the narrative that Amy is starting a new ministry that's going to transform the youth in Long Beach. That's what happens when you miss a corporate gathering. I'm preaching. I'm just trying to give you, I'm just trying to give you some advice. Last, last one, point number six. <clears throat> Ask. If you agree intellectually that your worship matters, then you need to agree practically that you must become a worshiper of God. So ask that God would make you a worshiper. My prayer is that you will be singing songs of joy as you walk into the office. That it's just, exu it's coming out of you. Whatever that looks like, practice, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with worship. I want you to get a glimpse now of, of Paul, the apostle of his story. Um, Acts chapter 16. I'm just going to end with this story. So those are the practicals. I want you guys to worship. I'm just, it's kind of, I, I got senioritis, you know. I got my last Sunday. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, so there's this great story. Go to Acts 16, verse 16. I love this story. So whenever I meet with a leader that I respect, I ask them about disciplines in their life. You know, have you read Malcolm Gladwell, Gladwell's book where he talks about the 10,000-hour rule? 
that it takes someone 10,000 hours to become an expert in any subject field or, or talent. And it's not just about some great genius or talent that they have, but it's their, their chosen disciplines over a lifetime that make them uh, brilliant or an expert or a genius. And so whenever I meet with leaders, I ask them about their daily disciplines. I say, what, you know, you became a best-selling author. What was it that got you there? And, and most of the time, it's like small things that you don't realize. Like, like Suresh, Suresh, how do you lead 4,000 churches in India? How do you lead 10,000 orphans? How do you keep saying yes to kids? Like, how do you adopt a, a, a three-day-old baby when you're 51 and your wife's 50 and your kids are off to college? Like, how, how do you do that? And he says, Darren, I wake up at 4 a.m. and pray. Okay, yeah, okay, that, make, that, would, that would help me a lot too, okay? So, um, but isn't it funny? It's like we think there's this magical sauce, like the secret sauce, like what's the secret ingredient? And it's usually just like this small choice that has significant impact. Like we talked about in the beginning, counterformational disciplines. Daniel transforms an empire and challenges the Babylonian culture one meal, one table at a time. I'm not gonna let this food defile me. That was a character decision that he held on to, to where he could stand before kings and go into the pit of lions, and he could stand there going, I worship the one true God. Uh, uh, the other guys, um, Abednego and Shadrach and Meshach, whatever their names are, I forgot them in Sunday school, they're learning it. Um, they stand before Nebuchadnezzar and say, even if we burn, if our God doesn't save us, they got thrown into the furnace. Even if we burn, even if our God doesn't save us, we won't worship your idols. Oh, so good. So how do we develop that? Well, here's a picture of, 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 uh, of Paul. Read this with me. So Paul, one quick thing. Paul's been going into um, the Roman Empire planting churches. Okay, everywhere he goes, he faces opposition. And here's a great story. I just want to pick up Acts 16. He had this vision from God. God told him in a dream to go to Macedonia. So this is God's will for his life. And check out what happens. Verse 16. This is Luke writing. He was with Paul on this particular part of the journey. Once... When we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Okay. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are willing or who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became annoyed and he turned to the side. And he's like, all right, get out of her in Jesus' name. At that moment, the spirit left her. This is, anyone else think this is a crazy story? When her owners realize that the gospel challenges the way people make money, that's when, when the owners realize that when Jesus is after your heart, which is connected to money, when the owners realize that their hope for making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are, are Jews and they're throwing our city into uproar. They didn't care when they were talking about gods and deities and the only way. They cared when it challenged the, the amount of money they made. Interesting. By advocating customs unlawful for Romans to practice um, or accept, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped naked, beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, which is the thing that happened to Jesus in uh, the Passion of the Christ. It's the thing that he did right before he goes on the cross. Whipped brutally. And then they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received, them, uh, received orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
Would you agree with me that things aren't going well for Paul in this moment? So Paul is obeying God, and he goes and follows God to Philippi, which is part of Macedonia. In the previous chapter, Paul was stoned to death. They thought he died. He gets up after being stoned to death, and he goes back into the city and preaches the gospel. We're talking about characteristics of Paul. Okay, stay with me. So now he goes into Philippi and he, he casts out a demon and, and they, they beat him up with rods. They, they strip him. They humiliate him. They begin to, um, they flog him and then they, they put him in the inner cell and they fasten his feet and his legs to stocks. It's basically this wood device. So it's, I guess I have to show it to you. Can you guys see it? So it's like there would be this wood thing here. I tried to get our worship pastor Pete to build it for me, but he didn't have time. Hey, could you build me a torture device? Uh, it's for Sunday. Don't worry about it. So it, their hands would be, would be like this. So do you think that's comfortable? That's not comfortable at all, right? This is not a comfortable position to sleep in, okay? So there he is in a situation where the circumstances are terrible. And it's, it's what he's experienced throughout his life and journey. And one, one quick side note is that in Christianity, the question isn't if you suffer as a Christian. The question is how will you handle suffering when it comes, okay? So Paul is being obedient to Jesus. He's humiliated in prison. He's suffering. He's in a, a difficult situation where he's, he's, he's literally trapped. And check out what verse 25 says. This is a profound verse. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. What? Midnight? How many of you have ever sprained an ankle before? When does it hurt the most? In the middle of the night. Would you agree? Am I the only one that wakes up and goes, I need more meds right now? It's throbbing in pain. His back is beaten. His, his back is bleeding out. He's been punched. He's got bruises. Uh, his circumstances that they find, the circumstances that he, they find themselves in are the reason they need to practice worship. And look at what Paul does. He's recalibrating his soul when everything else is going the wrong way. The one thing they can't keep him from doing is aligning himself to what matters most in his life. You have to worship when it matters. You have to worship when it doesn't matter. Yes, you can say, hashtag so blessed, I got a new Michael Kors bag, or whatever it is. <laughs> That's not a blessed life, by the way. Can we just eliminate the so blessed? That's not what God... The God who is creator of heaven and earth, right, who loves all of his children unconditionally, is not blessing your life with a Michael Kors bag. Please, that's consumerism wrapped up with a false idolatry in Christianity. Okay, thank you very much. We'll get to that in the fall around Christmas time when I come back. <laughs> Just plant that seed. I'm coming with vengeance. No, okay. So here he is. So, so worship when you can't afford rent. When mar your marriage is upside down, when your girlfriend broke up with you, when you didn't get the job, when your six-month-old isn't sleeping through the night and you haven't connected with your spouse, when, you, when you've been sick and it's not getting any better and the medical bills are piling up, when your best friend moves away across the country, when you lost the contract, when your son or daughter lost their way in faith, when you've got depression at its worst, when your anxiety is high and the panic is coming, when fear overwhelms you, how do you learn to cultivate worship in those moments? You learn it 
outside of those moments. You learn it on your commute. You learn it when you wake up and you're groggy and tired and you're late, but you say, no, 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 what matters most is me connecting to what matters most. You have to discipline. You have to make it a priority. Psalm 103 says, praise the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That psalm is David telling his soul to worship God. It's literally saying mind, body, heart, emotional capacity, social capacities, spirit. Worship God because I'm not going to do it on my own. You better get in line. Because we don't want to. I was, I was at this football, or watching game five on Friday with a friend. And uh, I was sitting back leisurely on the couch. Feet, feet were on the table. And Curry broke the all-time record for finals, uh, threes in finals games, 17 three-pointers. Uh, three and they won the game. But, but when he made that three, I'm laying back like this, and I jumped on my feet, and I was fist-pumping the air and high-fiving my friend, shouting, yes, yes, it was so involuntary. Over a basketball game. We're always worshiping. I've trained, or, or somehow my body has been trained to celebrate with excitement over that. But how many of us come and worship with our coffee in hand like this? How many of us just say, well, I, I don't, I'm, 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 I'm an introvert. This is how I worship. <laughs> Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Jesus. So you guys, our, our posturing matters. It's a matter of discipline. We have to tell our souls to worship. We have to do it as a choice. We have to choose to do it. David is telling his, his entire existence to, existence to come around it. There are studies done around this, by the way. Amy Cuddy, a psychologist and a, a person who gave an amazing TED Talk on the power of, of posture, body posture, and body language. She says, we make sweeping judgments and inferences from body language, and those judgments can predict really meaningful life outcomes, like who we hire or promote or who we ask on a date. When you pretend to be powerful, you are more likely to actually feel powerful. Science says that when you sit like this, for like 30 seconds or a minute before a job interview, this is a power pose. Can you tell? <laughs> that you're more, more likely to feel powerful in a situation because the way you posture your body matters. This is just a side note. When you kneel in Hebrew, worship is to lay like this. I'm just getting all physical for you. I just got to put it all out there. When you kneel, it's a, show, uh, a, a significant way of demonstrating honor. When you put your hands out, you don't have to feel like it. Are you more concerned about the person next to you, what they're going to think, or the God in heaven who saved and redeemed everything for you without cost, his life, not for you? Do you come ready to give it all when we gather? Are you practicing in the mornings? Are you practicing on your commute? Are you a worshiper? Are you only worshiping with hashtag so blessed? Or are you cultivating a life that will challenge the idolatry we're swimming in? The only way we can get this, brothers and sisters, please hear me, is if we learn to make it our heart's desire. And it's only going to get a heart's desire. We're only going to feel like it if we train ourselves to do it. 
So you pray, you worship when you don't feel like it. So that when the situation like Paul has comes, you sing songs. And I just want to speculate real quick what Paul might have, what, what the content of his worship was like. I don't think he was saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul, for this amazing jail cell. Thank you for those lashes. They weren't as bad as last time. He wasn't talking about his condition or circumstances, brothers and sisters. That was not the content of his worship. He wasn't worshiping because the lights got dim and the worship band has a new album out and you're surrounded by a packed house full of people that love the same music as you and they're not going to hear you singing. That's not the worship we're talking about. We're talking about being trained that when your back's bleeding and you're in the inner cell, the only thing you know how to do the only thing that you can do, the only thing that matters in that moment is how you reorient your life, realign, and give glory to God. The content of his worship was, Jesus, you're everything. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus because worship is counterformational to a world that wants you to worship yourself, your success, your sexuality, your resources, your life, your access, your friendships, your celebrities, the athletes, the political perspectives, your job, your family, your social media followers. Culture wants you to worship everything that makes you feel comfortable, safe, good, and valuable. But we worship God, the one true God, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let me get the worship team back up here. I'm going to close my sermon by reading the rest of the story because I think it's so funny. So uh, the, the verse goes um, 25. So there's about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken. There's no way out. Let's just sing. Let's just worship God. And the foundation of the prison, the thing holding them back, was changed. The chains, look at this. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came, chains came loose. There were innocent bystanders to this worship experience. You know what I'm talking about? People that weren't expecting to be encountered encounter God, encountered God because of a worshiper in their midst. If you go to workplace as a wor worshiper, people will experience the byproduct of your worship in their life because you carry the presence of God. What's the story I just heard in 2 Samuel? I read this a long time ago where the Ark of the Covenant goes to, is it Edom's house? Is that his name, Zach? Is that, come on, you, you told me the story this week. You forgot the story. Anyways, read it. It's in 2 Samuel. And everything he did prospered. The presence of God is in this guy's house. David sees it, and he's like, I want that for my house. And then he brings the Ark of the Covenant, and he dances, and he sees that the, where the presence of the Lord is, there's prosper, prosperity. So there's innocent bystanders. Listen, the jail woke up, jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul said, don't harm yourself. We're all here called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Listen to this. So then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. His enemy became a friend in worship. Is that amazing? Then immediately his whole household was baptized. The jailer brought them into this house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Is that amazing? Hallelujah. Worship has power. Worship can transform your life. Worship will transform lives around you. Worship will transform our culture. 
let's discipline ourselves to worship. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.